Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your award-nominated Fulham FC podcast, as pleasing to the ears as consecutive home clean sheets. On tonight's show, we'll review everything that went down in Saturday's win as Ojo found his mojo and we secured back-to-back wins at Craven Cottage. We'll also look forward to Saturday's daunting trip to Cookie Coleman Sunderland as they aim to avoid an entire calendar year without a win at the Stadium of Light. Uh, and speaking of mojo, I have a pretty groovy lineup on tonight's podcast. The international man of mystery, Don Betts. Hello, hello. The spy who scouted me, Ben Jarman. <laughs> Hello, friends. And Obehave, it's Jack Collins. <laughs> Hello, listeners. That was one of your better intros. Yeah, that was a good sound. Well done. Great. And allow myself to introduce myself. Just to round it all off. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. How are we all doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing. Oh, my Absolutely. God. Absolutely jarring cold outside. It might be a three hour long podcast so I just don't really fancy going home. Yeah, I want to stay here in the warm forever. Sounds good to me. Sleep in the Magic FM studios. Right, uh, lots to get through tonight but first we should do some three word reviews from Saturday as we won 1-0 against Birmingham City, potentially one of the worst teams to ever visit Craven Cottage. Jack, what came in? <laughs> they were one of the worst teams ever. We've been saying that a lot recently, haven't we? Oh, no, but I mean, they, they took it to new extremes. Uh, Ricky Yanagida came off through with Water Pen, which is, you know, pretty much everyone everyone agreed. Elliot should have scored more, which I think everyone really agrees with as well. Richard Bamber's No Killer Instinct. Uh, Louis Waldock with another clean sheet. And DGH with, with a few. Cezanyon can't cross. Bettinelli can't kick. Birmingham was shit. <laughs> <laughs> we missed Malone? We missed Malone. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I sort of ignore that every week now. Um, Eric of the North said, are we back? Which I enjoyed. Uh, and Colm Bugler said, in Reamland, which I quite liked. Very nice, very nice. He Thanks, Reem a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, so do I. So, yeah, me too. So we're good. We're good <laughs> with that one. Right, well, before we get on to Birmingham, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. And right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20, deposit a fiver, and Ladbrokes will add another 20 quid to your account. Ben Jarman, where can you find that link? Bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Smashed it. So it was another home clean sheet as Fulham claimed all three points at the cottage on Saturday against a very, very poor Birmingham City side. Um, Ojo netting the game's only goal 15 minutes into the first half. Um, Jack Slav once again opted for the actual false nine, not Don Betts's false, false nine. Uh, Steph Joe spearheading uh, Fulham's attack. What was Slav going for with this? What is he trying to do with this formation? Right, so if you'll pardon a, a little ramble on this, I, I have I have a theory, basically, oh, on, on, on how this formation is supposed to work. Uh, basically, what I think he's going for is, you know, obviously everyone can see the, the four at the back, the three in the middle, and two sort of wide players who are playing, you know, further forward than a withdrawn Stefan Johansson in the middle. But what actually happens when we have the ball and when we're in possession is that K-Mac drops back into the back three and splits the centre-backs. And then the formation changes into almost like a 3-4-1-2 with the two, wide, the two at the very top very wide. And, and what happens then is as they cut into the middle, the two full-backs overlap. And what it means is that we get overloads there without necessarily losing the defensive cover that you know Kevin McDonald provides. The issue with this, and, and while this is 
you know, completely theoretical at the moment, is that we haven't actually faced anyone while trying to play this system. And I don't think we really played this this way against Brentford. I think we actually tried to play Steph Joe as a striker against Brentford. Whereas on Saturday, we played the system with Steph much more withdrawn. And Steph is no means, and, and by no means back, I didn't think Steph was particularly good, but he was better than he has been recently. Um, that's not saying much because he's been so poor this season, but he was slightly better. So, you know, that is that is good to see, although he still has absolutely no confidence. But the issue with, with the system working like that is that we have no idea if it works or not because we didn't because Birmingham didn't offer anything for the entire game. So we're yet to see if this is a system that can, can be carried anywhere else to any sort of effect. Um, ben, your thoughts on that straight away? Well, I think Jack's pretty much nailed it. Um, I thought that before the game, we would come in and we would boss possession and that's what, exactly what we did with 68% uh, overall and 17 total shots and Birmingham really offered little to nothing the whole way through. Um, I think we could expect that at Birmingham. They didn't They didn't muster a shot and I thought that the return of K-Mac... Um, really knitted together the midfield much better than it has been over the past few weeks and it added a, a, an air of um, confidence to the whole midfield. Um, it looks slick, it looks smooth at times and if anything um, it sort of gave us flashes of what we did see last season with a fully fit uh, K-Mac, a fully fit uh, Tom Kearney and then obviously some very effective wide plays and as Jack mentioned uh, in particular overloads and it was clear to see from from the start that what we were trying to do is push those full backs up as high as possible, um, get the midfielders in and around them, and then really look to to push the wingers in slightly towards the edge of the box and towards the byline. And that's where the first goal came from, wasn't it? It's an, it's an overload in wide position. Get that ball fizzed in and uh, one of the wingers has dropped in into the box like they did last season. And then it's a great finish from Ojo, who only likes to put away complicated chances. He he doesn't really like uh, an easy chance, does he? No, he doesn't. Well, he scored that one against Sheffield United. Give the boy a slight break. Well, you know, the one that uh, came later in the in the match, he's completely put over the bar. And arguably that's an that was easy chance. That was the easiest of the three. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Dom, so Slav's reasoning for going for this formation at the moment, he said, um, we don't have players at the moment who can play in the gaps like Floyd Ite and Lucas Piazon. So we tried a new way without losing our style, which I guess fits in a little bit with what Jack was saying. Quite a big hint, though, for me, that he intends to use Lucas maybe in that role. Well, once he's, played he's, back there, he's played there before. He knows his way around any position in the front three. But one point I'd make is, you talk about Johansson playing this role maybe as a sort of number 10, basically. When I've seen Font, he looks very, very good playing from deep. So if you're going to play that system, surely you just still you still play Font, but play him in that deep role because his passing ability is pretty exceptional for a striker, I think. And mm. I, just, I just didn't understand it. Lee Hansen hasn't had a good season. Everyone knows that. And I didn't. I don't see the point in just keeping Font on the bench. I think it'll be good to start him because he has got a good passing range and then you can still play the two wide wingers who are cutting inside playing a more advanced role. I've, I kind of feel like Johansson's potentially still not back to full fitness and that's why we're not seeing the best out of him. I do agree with Dom that we should probably be looking to play Fonte but mm. I think what Slav's trying to get at is that teams like to try and crowd us out in the final third and then it's players like Floyd and players especially like Piazon and we saw this against Nottingham Forest last year who can get in between those nook and crannies of the defence and have really good ball control in very tight areas and can look to create something in those little pockets of space where players like Steph, players like Rui and definitely players like AK cannot thrive. Sam, you had a point on this earlier about about Johansson's form and how that kind of ties into this whole point with um, the moment that he was pl- his back to goal and he had plenty of space. And yeah. I thought it was probably one to bring up. It was in the first half and it was actually a moment in the match that... 
kind of blink and you'd miss it. But I just remember it stood out at the time when Kevin McDonald found Steph Joe. It was in the second half and he's trying to attack the Hammers fan, had his back to goal, but he was in so much space. And Kevin McDonald was pointing at Steph Joe as in go, turn around, you got space. And he didn't. And he, he instantly hit the pass backwards again. He tried to find Thomas Callas and he slightly overhit the pass and it went behind Thomas Callas and it ended back at Marcus Bettinelli. And it just struck me of a player who's lacking in confidence and that's perhaps because he's he's carrying an injury. And, if, and we've all tried to play sport or something when we're carrying a bit of a knock and you just don't have the same confidence, do you? You don't go in for that 50-50 tackle and maybe it's one of those he goes, I'm not going to take that chance and turn around here in case there's a, a Birmingham player about to knock me for six. <laughs> He so did. I just it just it just struck me as like that's not Steph Joe of last season. Steph Joe of last season would have taken the ball on, taken by the scruff of the neck, run thirty yards, and then made a pass. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's got anywhere near into the into the form and rhythm that we'd expect a player of his coloured calibre to be in. He did get clattered by one of the Birmingham players quite early in the game and seemed to drop off after that. But he was particularly wasteful in the second half of this shot straight down Stockdale's throat. I think it was around about sixty minutes in, maybe. Yeah. So. In in terms of that, I made a point at the time that it was it was a good save, but he should never have had an opportunity to save it. And if you watch the Man United Man City game this weekend, it, it reminded me a lot of the chance that fell to Romelu Lukaku late in the game, where you know blink and you'll miss it. As in, I turned away and I was like, well, that's in the back of the net, that's two all. And then I was like, oh, hang on, that hasn't gone in, and I had to watch it again to be like, how has he not scored that? Yes, it's a good save, but it doesn't change the fact that the ball should be you know buried. Yeah, and, and you know, credit will be given to Stockdale for, for what was a, a good stop and he spreads himself well, but there, there's absolutely no... no. It should just be in the right-hand side of the goal. Yeah, but also, you know, saying that, and, and one of the things that, you you know, people often criticise Steph for is not being in the right place at the right time, and he, he actually did make quite a good run to get there. You know, I know it's not... But the, the thing the thing is, is we're talking about would Rui Font play that role better? Rui Font would definitely have finished that chance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Chris Martin would have finished that chance. Anyone would have finished that chance. I could have put it away. <laughs> um, let's get back towards the earlier part of the game. I thought Neeskins was really impressive in the first 45 minutes. And actually, uh, apart from the goal, our best chance of the first half fell to Neeskins. And then his injury came about straight after that. So it was a bit of an unfortunate turn of events. Not only could it have been 2 0 other than a great save from Stockdale, but we also lost probably one of our, one of our most influential players of the first half. Yeah, I think he started really, really well and he was everything that we'd done like to, to a good standard came through Cabano in the opening stages. I'm very surprised because when he seems to start, he's he always gives me a feeling as if he's playing within himself because he's trying to get through the whole 90 and he's trying to pace himself. But I'm, I'm much more, I much prefer it when he's explosive from the start and gives us some sort of impetus. I think without his sort of diagonal runs towards the byline and getting trying to get in behind then we do lack something and he doesn't off, often offer that when he starts and he's more of an impact player when he comes off the bench. Well, it's, it's two quite impressive first half performances in a row from Neeskins because I thought he was very good as well in that first half uh, against Brentford. AK47 then came on to replace him. Oh, well, it was right at the end of the first half, so effectively the second half. And then, I mean, you spoke earlier about what Slav was trying to do in that first half. I was completely lost as to what the formation was in that second half. Well, you kind of lose the impetus of having wide players cutting in when you're playing with a centre forward in one of those roles. So, I mean, basically what happened was it just was the same formation, but it became, it became more narrow, which in part worked because Birmingham was so, 
you know, their block was so low, basically, and they were so set up to stifle, even at 1-0 down, that it, it needed something to happen. And because we we could have seven players in their half any given one time, it you know, you, you allow those two wide players are wide, and then there are two players, you know, more central to try and, you know, get on the end of things. But, you know, that, I suppose that's what happens when you have camera on, and, it, 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 you know, he's split opinion, in, and Nice can split opinion, actually, weirdly. And we have a few questions about people saying Nice has got quite a good... Um, reception and quite a good a lot of people spoke quite highly of him but they didn't think he particularly was 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 good first off so i'm sure we'll come on to that and and the different reasons for that later but you know ak47 is always going to split opinion you said sam earlier that he you thought he he played quite well i i thought he didn't do anything particularly wrong to to upset me and i didn't i didn't think he had a bad game but he also didn't you know set me on fire at you know any given point i think it's hard to analyze just the way birmingham's like the way we played because the way birmingham played because yeah. it was like we couldn't <clears throat> compare it to anything or see what they would bring to the table because they didn't bring anything to the table apart from a lap of concentration from Ken McDonald to award them a penalty which they sky over the bar I don't remember them doing anything I mean their team selection was just ridiculous I was with a Birmingham fan before and after the game he was like well why are we starting four fullbacks mm. I, mean, I, I mean if you thought our comment section on the lineup was toxic you you had to see the comments underneath the Birmingham lineup on Twitter. Well, there's, it was there's stuff going behind the scenes there. There's definitely something wrong because he wouldn't mention in the pre-match press conference which players are injured. He just said there are players out, and he that wouldn't. Sounds familiar. And, mm-hmm. he, and he wouldn't specify who because there's rumours there's been like a training ground bust up between, I think Stockdale and another player and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, we. Could, I mean, even against Sunderland, if they play like they have been at home for the entire last year, there won't be anything to compare that to. I think. We just need once we start playing a team who are going for promotion and playoffs as well, then we can analyse is this new system actually going to work or not. Well, but, I guess Cardiff will probably be the first time we can really like. Yeah, say Cardiff that and Hull will be, I think, a good test. Obviously, both being away games in a, in a decent length journey away from home. But yeah, I, th- I thought we weren't bad on the weekend. I thought defensively we looked a lot better. Um, obviously, we'll move on to the whole better early button debate later. But yeah, I thought defensively we were a lot more sound than we actually looked against Millwall. Um, but we still aren't putting teams away. And as awful as Birmingham were on Saturday, we still haven't gone two goals up this season at Craven Cottage. I know that we missed good chances, but it's starting to get really worrying. And it's cost us so many points this season. And barring an awful penalty from Boga, it could have cost us another point. And we'd have been... I mean, the place would have been in tatters. We'd have been discussing war on this podcast if we hadn't put Birmingham away. <laughs> and so in, the, in that respect, we got a bit lucky. In other respects, I suppose we didn't. You know, those chances on another day might have gone in. So, you know, I suppose it swings and roundabouts and you've got to take the wins when they come. It, it, you know, I, was the performance convincing? Absolutely not. Were we better at parts than we looked have looked in previous weeks? Yeah. Does it really mean anything in the grander scheme of how bad Birmingham were? Probably not. And we're probably just going to have to go to Sunderland and see how we hold up there. Um, let's go on to the penalty. It was very out of character from Kevin McDonald bringing down in Sue in the box. Had um, shades of uh, De Jong, I thought about it, with the uh, high, foot, <laughs> high foot almost to the chest. And then surely one of the worst penalties you've ever seen live. That's saying something, isn't it? I know how many we... penalties we watched miss last season. 
I mean, I don't know if any of you remember Euro 2016 and Simone Zaza, but I mean, is def- yeah. definitely Shades. channeling his inner Zaza there. <laughs> I was going to say Baggio, but I think it might be a little bit off demo. <laughs> yeah, defo. I mean, I think Kevin McDonald doesn't even see Nsue coming in from the right right mm. channel because when the when Ream has the ball in that sort of like left fullback position, McDonald's you know offering offering the pass there, and it just bounces up. And by the time McDonald's turn around to see Nsue anywhere near him. I mean, it's it's miles too late. I think he just thought he had more time than he actually did. I don't know. I don't quite know why he's not trying to lead with his head, but McDonald never does. So I don't know why I'm expecting that anyway. It's a very, very, very out of character, poor decision from Kevin McDonald. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It, it it's lazy defending. And one, the ball shouldn't be there in the first place. The ball should have gone about mm. three passes beforehand. And I know we're you know proponents of the passing system, but. I wouldn't mind, but we tried to clear it, and we just yeah. we just didn't manage to. Like, it's one thing trying to play way out of a press. There's two, another thing trying to clear the ball and it hitting someone. So, so the ball shouldn't be there in the first place. But like, it is a penalty. It's 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 a stonewall penalty, and it, even if it's not malicious, that's why it's not shades of Dion because it's not malicious. There's no malice in mm. it. Um, I don't think he was even booked, was he? No, it wasn't. So you know, it was and more men in what it would look like. Yeah, but, but you know, at the same time, he's got to keep his wits about him. There, you can't just raise your foot to that level in the penalty area, no matter if there's a player there or not. You just, yeah. you know, it's silly, and and ultimately, it very nearly cost Fulham three points. And thankfully, it didn't. I was thinking one of the worst penalties I've ever seen live. Although those two Hull penalties last season, who was that that missed? Abel Hernandez. Hernandez, yeah. I mean, I think they were up there actually. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I still don't understand how. So, I think I, I think it was the second one. I don't know. It wasn't retaken because Bettinelli was definitely not on his line. He <laughs> saved it about five yards into the box. Yeah, but we also just couldn't have had three penalties in a row. Like it's absolutely ludicrous <laughs> to begin with. Like never mind having another one on top of it. Well, you've nicely segged me on to Marcus Bettinelli. Now he started in goal, and, and we thought this was the case because you know if Marcus Bettinelli is going to be playing because he posts an Instagram of himself on the Friday night. Um, so any. And if you keep doing that to, to let us know, then we can all prepare accordingly. Yeah, so exactly. Thanks, Marcus. Um, I'll now put many some nets up on the on the touchline <laughs> so the ball doesn't go out into the stands every time. <laughs> well, many will point to the fact that he kept a clean sheet, and there is no doubting that Marcus's form in the side is in at the moment is is unrivaled because you you consider the amount of games that we won with him in the team last season it was quite incredible. But I don't know if that I, I'm, I'm sure it's purely coincidence, but. I know we said we wouldn't talk about it anymore. We got to because he made a change. But his distribution was alarming, to say the least. Shock. Shock horror. Shock horror. Things that we've been saying for months. Truth. <laughs> it's impossible to add anything more to that. His distribution wasn't great. I think at times he was very erratic, but I think the command of his box was generally quite good. Yeah. I think he, he anticipated danger quite well. And I think, for me, it's much of a muchness between both of them. Um I'm not an expert on keepers by any means, so I'd like to throw it over to Don Betts, who's well, resident keeper. What, the way I see it is, like, obviously, people are obviously going to compare both of them, and I don't think one's necessarily better than the other or worse than the other. I think they're about equal quality, about mid-table championship level. And I think... I like I like both of them. I don't have an issue with either of them. Like I think Bettinelli, it's just nicer to see him in goal, maybe because obviously he's a youth product. He's from the local area and things like that. Obviously, his dad's worked within the club and stuff. So, like, it doesn't really bother me who's in goal, because I think they're both not that good. But... I didn't. I know his distribution was bad, but it's because he keeps doing this thing when he launches it to the fullback. It's so bizarre. I'm like, what are you doing? Just if you're going to like launch it, at least play it through the middle because we're playing a relatively narrow formation. I mean, yeah. is he under instruction to do that? 
Well, maybe, sure, surely uh, not. Like, as in, if, if Barton's under instructions to pass the ball short, surely it would make no sense for Slavisa to make, uh, make Bertinelli do a completely different thing, what? especially if he's not going to play him in the games where that system might work. Is, what is, I think there's a question that we'll come on to this later that's come from our Facebook page, but what I think Bertinelli is trying to do in his head is trying to, when teams commit players forward, in this case Birmingham have done it maybe a handful of times, what he's trying to do is kick over the top of the press yep. to someone that's in space so we can then move through the next couple of phases. But he's not very good at it. Yeah. And at the same at the same time, we don't have the peop- we don't have the players to lump it forward because it will just come straight back at us. And the faster the ball comes back at you, the more liable you are to be countered because there's too many players up the field. So what he's trying to do is keep hold of the ball, move through the phases, move up the pitch and through what is remaining of the press. Because if theoretically, if you can kick it over the top of those few committed players, there's less there's to less count. Players the, the there's back, less yeah. players at the back. So I think that's what he's trying to do. Unfortunately, his feet don't let him do it. It might work better with Dennis Adoy on the on the left wing because he actually is like has a has a mad jump on him. So that 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 might be useful. Yeah. For, it seems people. to me when he tries to do that pass, there's no margin for error. No, you no. have to literally. If you don't, if you hit it too high, it goes out. If you hit it too low, it will hit one of the players in front. And if you hit it to either side, then it's going to go to one of the Birmingham players that are always in quite close proximity. What I don't understand is why they are literally on the touchline. Just move yourself two or three yards inside. Give at least give. Them a couple bit of, of room. I suppose what they're trying to do is stretch the opposition. Yeah, I, I but guess. two or three yards isn't going to make a huge amount of difference, is it? I think the, the thing to consider here is that none. I don't think anyone on this podcast thinks that Button and Bettinelli have much between them. I think that's a, that's quite a widely accepted view of the four of us. I don't think anyone here is like, oh, one is much better no. than the other, right? And none of us have an issue with Bettinelli playing. All I'd like to say, and I like to see Bernalillo in goal because he's obviously a nice guy and he likes the club and and, and people like him and if people loves the club, if people <laughs> if look if it makes people happy that Marcus Bernalillo is in goal, then fine, then play Marcus Bernalillo. All I want people to do is if they're going to boo when Button kicks the ball straight out of play, then boo when Bernalillo does it. That's all I want. Some bloody consistency. I think if, if honestly, if Button hadn't come from Brentford, then and he was a Fulham product, and so was Bettinelli, there would be there would be a lot less dissent. If Button if Button had done what Bettinelli had done at the weekend, the cottage would have erupted in booze. Oh, I mean, yeah, it would have been like it was it worse would have been than a any Button performance this season in terms distribution. of distribution. Yeah, and people will point to the clean sheet, but they actually had one shot on target. Yeah. Was it even one? It was one. It I was did one. just look it up. It was one and five shots off target. They like somehow had seven corners, which is weird. And, but yeah, then Ben, ben put it perfectly earlier on. He said his command of his area was good. He punched well when he needed to and, you know, cleared danger when he needed to. It's just, you know, he's just not very good at kicking, which is what Button gets most of his stick for. Is that it then? Can we can we draw a line under the best Nelly Button? Probably not, because we'll line certainly draw. have it the same, we'll probably have the same time next time Button gets back in the side. People <laughs> will start complaining again. So, you know, we'll probably be back to this, but, you know. But for now, for now it's, that's it. Yeah. yeah, good. Hello, Darkness, my old friend. No, no doubt it'll come up again. All right, overall, let's just summarise uh, Saturday. Now, it seems like Fulham have found a bit of steel again, and I'm... Um, I'm very pleased about that. And it's three wins from four, which isn't actually that bad a form. And, you know, we've got a couple of very winnable games coming up and we could realistically um, have four or five wins from six if you look at it overall. But I feel like we'd have been exposed massively by a better side on Saturday still. I still think if any of the sides in the top 12 had come on Saturday, it could have been a very different outcome. I can definitely see where you're coming from because a lot of the teams up in that top 12, as you mentioned, have 
have a huge array of talent going forward. You you look at some of the, even some of the lesser teams that you would have said before the before the year, like Cardiff, for example, have Zahor, who's mm. a bloody good player, and then Vidra for Derby has already punished us a number of times before. I think this this game in particular, not Millwall, for example, we looked much better in there because of a return of two two figures, in my opinion. Firstly, McDonald, because he knits together the midfield so much better. And his reading of the general play is exceptional because he understands when Sassignon's gone and when to cover him. Mm-hmm. And someone like Ollie Norwood doesn't particularly do that. If you look at Norwood's heat map, it'll probably just be a big donut around the centre circle. <laughs> Whereas um, like Kevin McDonald's, is, is, it tends to be from one flank to the other because he can read the system of play and the situations um, that, that, that he puts himself in are always there to, to stop something. And then the second one is obviously... Uh, the the USA machine Tim Ream at the back because I think he he offers a calmness to our defence that potentially Callas sometimes doesn't give. If you look at Ream, he's he's very capable of bringing it out and um, bringing it past the first line of press. And I think Jack and I had a a very brief exchange on Twitter yesterday about Otamendi bringing the ball out for City and bringing it past that first couple of United players and and you know getting getting the ball into a danger area. And he's he's very capable of playing it up into the midfield, out into the channels, and, and that's something that we've lacked um, since he's been gone. And obviously, with Adore as his replacement and then a couple of others, we've really been missing that. Well, um, speaking of Osamendi, just because it reminded me, because I know he did very well uh, on Fantasy at the weekend, I never mentioned the Fulhamish Fantasy League that we went to great pains to get plenty of people to sign up to uh, back in the summer. I've uh, got to give a shout-out to Dara Curran. Um, Dara. At- yeah, Dara. Yeah. <laughs> Dara Curran, anyway, uh, at the Tinkermen. Uh, he's top of the Fulhamish Fantasy League at the moment with a staggering 943 points. Uh, top playing podcaster, regular podcaster, is Farrell, who's doing quite well. He's in 12th with 890 points. Dean Jones, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, is up there in 8th. Uh, ben, I mean, you're not even on this first page. Where are you? I'm quite far down after my really good start. I've somewhat dropped off. Yeah, you were like top 10 for the first few weeks of the season. I was thinking, hello, we've got a serious contender here. No, I'm terrible. Um, I'm 109th, so I can't really talk. Jack, I'm, Cardiff last I'm 84th. I, I've had a, I had a bad fall this week with an absolute nightmare 35, but I dropped from, I was actually, I actually made the top 50. I had a terrible start and have slowly been clawing my way back up the ranks, but I have fallen off like a, in a big way this weekend. I'd like to think I'm in the top 10 for. Names with callous whispers. What about Pink Floyd Aite? Pink Floyd Aite is good. I also just seen here. Um, I dreamed a ream. Yeah, that's Great. quite a classic. Classic, um, nice one. Uh, and into Toto Inamoto just uh, caught my uh, caught my attention as well. Anyway, if you still uh, can you dream, still can you still join a fantasy league now? Is you it- can, but there would be no points because you'd have to make up nine hundred and forty three points on Dark. Do, do you start off at zero if you yeah, join yeah, a yeah. new fantasy league? Oh, then don't join. But oh, sorry, no, no, you can join still if you're. If you're already playing, oh, you right, can yeah. join. Yeah, you can try to do well on the weeklies, but you've got no chance overall. No, no, no. As in, if you join the league, it brings your points with you, does it not? No, as in, I mean, if you haven't done fantasy. Oh, yet. yeah, yeah. If you haven't started, don't start. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I yeah, think, no, yeah. No I think starting. you're wasting your time. We did talk about trying to do a championship fantasy football. We'll do a there prize. Is... But no, 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 we'll do a prize for the winner. So, Dara, if you, you keep that up, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll reward you if you do. Yeah, we'll find, we'll, we'll source a prize from somewhere. It might be like Jack Collins coming around your house and singing you a song or something. Make you a cup of tea and sing you a song. Yeah, there you Jack go. Jack will sing you the Irish national anthem in Gaelic if you win. 
That is that is nice. That would be nice for everyone. What a treat for uh, for Dara. For Dara, he does have a Gaelic name. Yeah, so maybe he'd enjoy it. Maybe he'd sing it with you. Yeah, well, I probably probably know it far better than I do. Um, in real truth, that's uh, out there anyway. Right, we're going to take a break in a little bit. Just to say as well, please uh, keep uh, rating and reviewing Fulhamish on iTunes as well. Really helps us push out the podcast to those that enjoy it. And we're nearly at a hundred ratings as well, which is quite a nice little milestone. So uh, please do keep sharing the pod where you can. Right, we're going to do a big Sunderland preview after this. Lads, do you not be the perfect Christmas present? Beer. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how you can get that? Beer 52. Well done. Do you know how you can get it really cheap? Put a co-fulham in. The checkout. Perfect. You actually get a free crate of 10 craft beers. Ben Jarman, how does that sound? Tasty. Don Betts, how does that sound? Team cans. Use the code Fulham at beer52.com and get it in time for Christmas. The code's not going to last for long. Hashtag Christmas cans. Big bag of fat Christmas cans. Well done, lads. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still here with Ben Jarman, Jack hello. Collins, Yo. and Don Betts. Hello, hello. Right, so on Saturday we travel up to the Stadium of Light for a test against Cookie Coleman's struggling Sunderland side and Kit Simons as well, honourable mention for him who is assistant manager. Is he assistant? Probably. Something like that. He's Honourable definitely... mention is all that Kit Simons has been resigned to yeah. now, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, can you tell me how many days before the fixture on Saturday their last home win was? Probably 365. Close. 384. Nah, 364 days. So their last win was a 1-0 win against Watford on the 17th of December 2016. We're playing them on the 16th of December. So this is their last opportunity to stop them going a calendar year without winning a game at home. I mean... It's written in the stars. I've got such a horrible feeling about it. But take away the statistic and also Chris playing, um, managing against a former side. I mean, this is a very, very, very winnable game. Definitely. You have to look at this game as if we're going to go up there and get three points. We've played some, you know, fairly bottom dwelling teams recently and we've come away with some good victories and a couple of clean sheets with some, albeit not not entirely convincing performances. I think Sunderland are missing Catamol, um, but they've got a fairly pacey strike partnership with Graben and uh, one more. Uh, James, James Vaughan, Vaughan is, is also fairly pacey, and I'm kind of worried about them playing on the counter, especially if they go two on two against Callas and Ream. Um, but I think, you know, Sunderland are there for the taking to not win at home in a year is, is well, it's great going, isn't it? Um, and I think if we get an early goal, then uh, the crowd will become pretty toxic pretty early. Um, I mean, a year is yeah. just unreal, isn't it? Imagine it's... having a season ticket and going to Fulham every single week and, you, and we don't ever pick up a win. I know that hasn't been far from what's happened in 2017 for Fulham, but at least we've got a few. Well, I think last year we had a, a much, much, much better season than any Sunderland fan did, you yeah. know, bar the one that dropped his pants last week. Yeah, he had a terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have improved, though, since Coleman took charge and have actually picked up a couple of brilliant away results. The first one was a 2-0 win um, at Burton. It's not really a brilliant result. Let's put it, there's, a there's brilliant one result. side in the division worse than Sunderland, and it's Burton Albion. Yeah, but considering that they'd been on such a run, it was a good, it was a good win, and any win away from home in this division is, is a good win, especially the position that Sunderland were in. And then... To get a nil-nil draw out of Wolves, which wasn't really a hanging-on nil-nil draw either. Wolves didn't have 
a ton of chances, and especially down to 10 men for an hour, that's an impressive result. Yeah, that's a good result. It, you know, the thing about it is that obviously Cookie is going to have them playing better. Cookie's a good manager, and their squad is actually not that bad. As in, it's not great, but it's not diabolical. It, no. You know, it's better than it's better than a few championship teams. They should have enough in that squad to survive in this division. You know, the problem is that on we're side at the moment, everything is an absolute nightmare. Like life is actually terrible. And as soon as one thing goes wrong, and this is one of the things they've they've been saying, as soon as one thing goes wrong for Sunderland, the whole stadium just turns and everyone just gets really angry. And basically we need to get away early. If we can get into them, get a good start. You know, even just put, we don't even need to score already. If we put them on the back foot, then everyone's going to start going, oh, here we go again. And the stadium will lose its luster. You know, the stadium light is, is a tricky place to go. And, it, it, you know, when it actually does get on the back of the opposition team, it, it can be quite an intimidating environment. And, you know, we, we don't want that. We don't want to give them hope that this is the moment that they're going to break that run and really start to, to bring things back. So Fulham need to start well. The problem is for Sunderland, and I'm I'm going to go in on a Sunderland podcast and talk about this tomorrow, which is quite exciting. What's that one? The, Ro- uh, the Roka report, yeah. Um, but basically, none of their none of their experienced players have decided to stand up and be counted in the championship, and basically, it's an absolute nightmare for them. The only player of any sort of you know Premier League caliber who has decided he wants to play this year is Brian Oviedo at left back, who's done quite well, and the fans have seemed to take to, but. You know, Lee Catamol being out is actually not a good thing for Fulham. Lee Catamol, according to pretty much every Sunderland fan under the sun, has been their worst player by some distance this season. And they just didn't want to drop him because he's basically the captain and, you know, everyone's sort of expecting him to deliver. But everyone's saying that he just doesn't look... He look his legs are gone, he looks past it, uh, and he also just doesn't seem to care anymore. Um, another one is John O'Shea, who did seem to recover some sort of form at the weekend against Wolves, but up to that point has been an absolute nightmare for, for Sunderland. And you would have really hoped that our pace of our attack would have been able to expose that. But, you know, if if Yotta and <laughs> Yotta and Bonantini and Co can't and Cavalero, you know, then potentially he he's found some sort of his, his old self in there. Um, and the other one is Aidan McGeady on the on the left wing, who's been diabolical for a while now. Um, I can say quite comfortably from both an international and club perspective. But he, yeah, you know, they were all expecting a McGeady to come in under under Pearson and really start to kick on, but he really hasn't, and he, he looks shot basically, and, and and that's the end of it. Their their main threat is going to be a counter attacking kind of hope, but if we can nullify that for a, enough to sort of basically shut the stadium right down and 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 get you know into them early doors, then we'll be all right. I mean, our record there isn't that bad at all. Like last time we went there in the FA Cup, obviously we drew. Rodriguez yeah. should have scored. Oh, it's smashed, smashed, obviously, first game of 13-14, we won one 0 Kasami header. I think we won two 0 with Simon Davis scoring two goals. Obviously, the one in the snow we were winning, but then it obviously got rescheduled. So our record there isn't actually that bad at all. And I think if yeah, we just have to go straight out on the front foot and put the fans, make sure they they sort of start a to- toxic atmosphere in their stadium like usual. And I think it will be easy. I mean, our record against Newcastle and Sunderland is actually quite good at their grounds. Like I don't, so I'm not really too worried. I'm just looking forward to that three and a half hour train up. Yes. What time train is that, Dom? Eight eleven. Eight eleven. That's an early start. Um, how many seconds between Lee Catamol's two yellow cards at the weekend? Fifty-four. Oh, he's got it spot on. Yeah. Very good knowledge. Uh, got the actually, Guardian quiz before you even done your notes. Oh, really? That's. That's where I got my notes as well. No, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> Lucas is reportedly fit. Uh, might make a sub appearance, hopefully. I um, kind of hope not. And, and um, you know, I'm gagging as much as anyone else for Piazza to come back and be part of that part of this side. But I would really like to see him return to full fitness properly before we throw him in. We don't need to throw him into a game like this. 
this is you know this is one where we should be able to win with with, with whoever on the pitch you know we we should we are a better squad than them we're in better form than them and you know ultimately this this is a game we should be winning you know if we played know six or seven changes it's quite weird to well, be so not confident but for it to be in this situation for a team that came down from the premier league last season isn't it like you well, even even teams that have struggled coming down from the premier league like villa last season you'd have never had a trip to villa park and thought right this is one we just absolutely have to win well the only thing is i'm quite concerned is that we could lower ourselves into a full sense of security and get completely turned over because we haven't given enough but yeah, I haven't really felt this confident about something since Wigan double-dipped a couple of seasons ago. And um, they were pretty easy to beat on that second season in the champ. But like like you say, Jack, you don't want Piazon to come back so quickly, but Cabano's out, Oite's out. Yeah. Ojo's no, right. the only really fit What I'm saying is, I'd, you know, if Lucas was on the bench, that's one thing. But mm. I wouldn't bring him on unless we were in trouble. I'm not saying... What I'm yeah. saying here is that I'm not that we we can't go there and lose and we're very we're very capable of going there and losing mm. um and and Coleman will want to win this game and Kit will really want to win this game you know think about it like that but ultimately I don't want to have to bring Piazon on we should be putting this game to bed before substitute appearances this should be a game where if we can get ourselves into a lead force an opening uh, and get them on the back foot then we will win the game I mean it's a northern away game we won't see Sass on the wing with Adoy pushing into left back I think we mm. probably will that'd be really nice Oh yes, of course, Adoy back into the game as well. That might make that a possibility. Did we see how bad Cabana's injury was? I don't know. It looks like a muscle injury, so might be a couple of weeks at least. I saw, I think might have been Floyd or something, like tweet, like, oh. It was Shades. Oh, uh, yes. said, get better soon. Which but, makes me think that it might not be. But then we, um, we tweet, he tweeted saying, yeah, good to be back among, uh, good to be back in uh, winning ways yesterday with my, with my boys. Ryan Sessner and Shea Yojo, just one of them having a good time and praising God. So that was nice. Um, let's get some questions. Slav probably won't tell if he's injured anyway. So Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're going to find out. Is yeah. It? Um, yeah, we could do questions, Sam. Why not? Excellent. We've got a couple of emails and Facebook questions. Let's, let's go over to them first, shall oh, we? Trying all medium. Yeah, let's, let's, move, let's move it away a bit. So um, this is from Julian Eccles. He says, hi, Fulhamishers, which is a new one. <laughs> I've not heard that one before, but I quite like it. Is that like, you know... Justin Bieber has believers. Yeah, uh, we yeah. have full. We have full emissions. No, I think he's referring to us. All right, we um, have one full emission. It's George. Good old Georgie. Yes. <laughs> um, he says, if Slav continues to insist on playing at the back, should we just get a couple of footballing keepers who can pass as well as save and catch? And do we have any sort of basic ideas about about those kind we've, of? We've 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 sort of talked about this before, and it's like to get a goalkeeper who can kick a ball, it's not <laughs> that easy. Yeah, like, it's really not that easy. It shouldn't be this hard, should it? No, I mean, like everyone—they've surely played in an outfield position in their life before. But it's like, yeah, like it's, as you showed with Pep last season, that like, you can get a goalkeeper and kick the ball, but he needs to be able to save the save the football. You don't want—we we can get someone who can distribute the ball great, but then we're just going to concede another three or four goals a game. I think Alex Smithies is pretty good out of his hands, and also fairly decent on the floor as well. So he'd be a nice pickup, but. Are we really going to prize uh, Rangers' number one keeper away from them? Like, is he really going to want to come across? And if he does, it's going to cost us uh, a fair amount, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Maxwell from Preston is someone who looks like mm. they can pass the ball, but I don't understand why anyone would leave Preston for Fulham in the current in the current climate and and where the division sits right now. Well, living in London's always quite a big draw. Yeah, but you know Preston are doing well, and they look like yeah. they're in, in good form, and and they're doing well. And and we're going to come on to a question a bit later, actually, about 
um, transfers from from clubs around us. So I'm sure we'll come back to this kind of point, but I, I wanted to just raise it because I think it's a, an interesting one that we have talked about before. But mm. it's um, it, it one of those things where it's difficult to analyse where we should bring this keeper in from. And, you know, a lot of people say lower leagues and that, but it's harder to determine whether their kicking ability is that good in, in, in an environment where it's pressed potentially less. So it's one of those things. But thank you for the question uh, anyway, Julian. Um, this next one is from Sean Foley, who says, I wonder where you believe we'd be now if we'd kept Malone and Aluko and signed Diego Rolan and Aidan Flint from Bristol City. There was quite a lot of ifs. <laughs> Yeah. And well, I mean, not even all of those ifs were like potentially on the cards. Yeah, but, okay. but this is it. This is the question. So I'm just asking it. Shall I? I'll take shoot the I'll take Flint and Roland. Yeah, go on then. Okay, I feel like if we'd have bought in Flint, then we'd be much better at the back, and we'd have a much, we'd have firstly better distribution because quite often someone of Flint's size is always labelled as someone who's really good at corners. But as Jack, I think you pointed out last week, is actually really good at distributing the ball from the back and has a really good football IQ and can really help a team play out and attack from the back. Also, obviously, he's one of the highest scorers in the in the, in the the divisions at the moment, especially for a centre-back, which is really pleasing to see. And he, we can uh, we actually looked a little bit more threatening from set-pieces this weekend. So imagine, I imagine if we had Flint in there, then um, we'd look a, a bit more lethal. I think in terms of Roland, everyone was really bigging up Roland because he featured for a side in Bordeaux, and a national team in Uruguay that has seen some really good exposure, especially over the past two or three years. And he he did go to the Copa America with Uruguay, although he hasn't really got that much game time. Game time. I suppose it's quite difficult for Uruguay behind Suarez. <laughs> yeah, and behind Suarez and Cavani. The thing about Ronan, he's very much a flair player, and if he's not on his game, then he can go missing quite a lot. And this season, the club he's played for is Malaga, and they're really toiling at the bottom of La Liga, and they've. They've just picked up, I think it's their second win of the season. And Roland wasn't even in, in the squad, I don't believe. And when he has been in the squad, he's featured in a wide position and had absolutely no influence on games. Whilst we did big him up slightly at the start of the season, I really don't think he'd have that much of an impact on where we currently are. And I also don't see him being an upgrade on Fonte, Kamara, Aita, Cabano, Ojo, or even Sess in any wide positions either. So I don't think missing out on Roland has been that much of a big deal. Um, he could have hit it off, but I think the likely likely chances are that he wouldn't. And even our French correspondent JS, well, yeah, I was just about to say, said this. that he goes missing quite often and he's wouldn't be a good him. pickup. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's technically a very good player off the field. I don't think he has the right temperament because when you come from a place like Uruguay, where it's traditionally quite poor, and you end up in Europe and especially in somewhere like France, and you get paid quite a bit of money it's fairly easy to take your foot off the gas and that happens quite often. So you could see why um, Roland may not have been such a good signing for us. He, he, did, he did actually score against Madrid at the weekend. Um, no, two or three weekends ago. Yeah, sorry. He yeah. Did, yeah. Um, yeah, he did. He scored against Madrid. Which was, was his second goal of the season. His third. He's got three and eight, yeah. which isn't a particularly bad... You know, he scored two in one game and then he scored two against Bilbao. Yeah. And then yeah, he scored yeah. one against Madrid. You know, they're, they're good sides he's scoring against, but Malaga aren't playing well. And the fact that he's been dropped since then suggests that he's not a particularly one, a particularly key component of the side, and two might not be gelling with you know, the players around him. He's featured very fleetingly, and the way that Michel, who's the coach, is playing is a very simple, um, quite long slash direct style of football. And Roland just isn't playing like into that style of play whatsoever. And those 
three goals, as you say, two in one game, one against Madrid. What was on the counter really over, right? Really started to paper over the cracks of what has been a not a, a glittering Malaga career. Indeed. Um, yeah, I was going to say JS really slammed him. What was the other part of that question? It, it, I suppose it's the old Malone, 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 Malone and Luca question. I think we would have more points because it, then the team's pretty much the same as last season. They still have that chemistry instead of having to learn these new players and the system's obviously different. If we had them, we'd be playing the same system and I believe we would be playing better. But I, like Malone has, is still not a very good defender. We've seen that in the games he's played in the Premier League. Every time he, he plays, he pretty much makes a mistake. Aluko, was he, he's obviously scored one goal, I think, for Reading. I don't think it'd be massively changing. We like we wouldn't be in the top top two. We wouldn't be in the top six. I think we'd be mid table. Yeah, I mean the thing is with hypotheticals, I suppose, is that there's there's no way of knowing. And also, if we'd kept Malone and Luca and then signed Diego Roland and Flint, maybe they wouldn't have gelled. So there's there's that to be there's that to be added as well. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I don't think we'll ever know. I think individually those questions are all valid, but together it, it makes it almost impossible to judge where what you know what kind of situation we'd be. But you know, I think the the point to raise about um, Flint. And, and Roland was valid and it was interesting to get Ben's perspective on, on, on what Roland's been doing in Spain because obviously that's not something that everyone hears all the time. I mean, he only came for the free Wimbledon tickets. Yeah, he did like a free Wimbledon tickets. He had tickets. a lovely day out on Centre Court. Um, it, yeah, well, you know what? Why not? Why not? I would have... Um, At someone else's expense, I'd have done that. Yeah, precisely. Right, let's move these on quickly. Let's um, let's switch the vibe a bit. This is from Alex at Pure Power. He says, Is the pricing scheme for this game against Southampton justified? It's £20 for an adult season ticket holder and £25 for a non-season ticket holder. Seem, I, don't, I don't know my first thought. It sounds... I don't see... Relatively it, it, reasonable. Yeah, I think it's reasonable because 10 years ago, the average price of a third-round ticket was £15. So... And it, the whole campaign is 20s plenty, and for senior holders, it's 20 quid. I don't, and I think for young 18 and 21, it might be 15 because I'm on the cup scheme and it's already come through. But, like, yeah, I don't have an issue with it at all. I think it's, it's a good pricing strategy. I think 20 pounds for an adult and 15 pounds for a concession just should be like the run of the mill normal football team. Are we forgetting this is a top 10 Premier League club? I, I know it's not a very glamorous one. I suppose but. the thing is, what, what, what basically I think is being got at here is that do, should the club be doing more for season ticket holders and trying to promote these kind of games and being like, look, this is something we can offer to you know bring more people in to make these kind of occasions special and whatever, and you know to, to then buy them on top of a season ticket, which is already you know I'm not saying that Fulham is any more expensive or less expensive than other people. And we've already done that research and things. But what I'm saying is that. You know, it's it's a way for the club to give you know give something back to the fans, especially in that kind of respect, and and it's a chance for them to do that. And they've just decided just to completely bin that off. Isn't um, FA Cup ticket pricing reciprocal? So I think both <laughs> clubs have to agree on a price because they both Ooh. get fifty percent of the gate revenue. All um, ticket prices are reciprocal and agreed with both parties oh, right. across the board, even with Championship games, FA Cup games. You you name it, everything is reciprocal. Is it? So, okay, so Southampton and Fulham would have agreed this, but I do understand where Jack and Dom are coming from. It would have been nice to see Fulham say something like season tickets, um, <clears throat> like ten quid, and then if you want to buy an additional ticket, that'll be ten pound. Yeah. So like two can go for twenty quid. Mm. I think there was something a few years ago where in the FA Cup it would be like season ticket holders twenty quid and an additional ticket for like a pound or something yeah, they like did that. Used to do that. That was really good because the crowds for FA Cup ties no matter who it was against were always fairly large I think with season ticket holders you just have, have to naturally assume they're going to turn up anyway because for the most part they will do because they've got nothing better to do on a Saturday 
And it's third round re- weekend and everyone yeah. quite likes Magic of the going Cup to when it. we crash out 4-0. But there we, we go. I think another point on this is it is just a bit of a... I know I said, just said it's a top 10 Premier League side, but it is quite an underwhelming cup draw, I thought. Although it might be quite an entertaining game of football. Yes, I, I think, I think it's just because right of the amount of times we've played Southampton in recent years, probably. Yeah. Like, FA Cup, you, you associate with playing a team you wouldn't usually play. So, like, I, I, would, I would have taken any, like a League One club, a League Two club, or uh, any of the non League clubs that were left, uh, obviously away from home, just because, like, it's just nice to go to, like, if it's an away game, to go to a ground you don't usually go to, like, every season, or you've been to, like, four times in the last 10 years. I feel like if it was someone like Spurs, or someone like Arsenal, or one of the bigger London clubs that came along and we were charging £20 for a ticket, I don't think anyone would really bat an eye. No. But I think it's because, as you say, some at Southampton, or if it was someone like Newcastle, Maybe like a Burnley or even a Watford, and we charge twenty quid. People, there's there's always that air of I don't know what like frustration that it's over tenner or fifteen. But quid. then if it if you we if we watch. were away at Southampton, people wouldn't be complaining. It's twenty quid a ticket. Exactly. Yeah. So the the thing is like you you're not really ever going to see football at our level for about fifteen ten fifteen quid unless it is against Bristol Rovers on a Tuesday night. And we lose. <laughs> yeah, I th- I just think that twenty is plenty, and the bigger fights to fight with ticket pricing are when you have to pay over forty pounds to watch Leeds. Yeah, over forty quid to go to Hillsborough. Yeah. That's the biggest team in the world. Well, yeah, I know, and you do pay the privileged for that. So, all right, let's. Uh, thank you, though. That's a good question. I actually, for one, agree with you, Alex. Even if this is not a, necessarily a consensus in the in the office. Um, this one's from Sam Smith, not the Sam Smith, who incidentally is a Fulham fan as well. Um, <laughs> Sam C.P. Smith, who says, Font looked great when he came on. Is it worth playing him in a deeper role as a CAM as he can clearly keep the ball and pick a decent pass? Don Betts. I think it would it is, it is would be good to drop him, but then that means Kearney has to play in a deeper role. And That's I don't, what he's been doing anyway. I know, but I, but I think if you're going to play someone in a number 10 role, it should be... It should be Tom Kearney because I think he's the best we've got there. And I don't see the point in trying to move Font into the side than to make Kearney less effective. If you know what I mean, I'd rather be playing like be playing the best players for the system. So the best player who I think is the best, like I expect it to be playing a four-two-three-one normally. I don't really think this system is going to work. Like so, our best striker I'd say was Font, and the best number ten is Tom Kearney. I don't, and then I don't, and I know Font. Then we'll still drop deep, but yeah, I don't think. I would bring Font into number 10, meaning that Kearney has to then play a deeper role. Sammy? I quite like Kearney in that um, quarterback role, as you coined it earlier, Jack. I think he plays it really, really well, and he controls the game. And his his control of a football, as I said a few weeks ago, is one of the best I've seen in a Fulham shirt since Moose Dembele the first. And I think he plays that role so well. Yes, you do lose a little bit of his creativity in that number 10 role to make magic happen. But... I think that I just really enjoy I just really enjoy him playing that role and he gets on the ball so much and the more that Tom Kearney is on the ball for me the better we play. You could tell against Brentford we struggled to play when Tom Kearney was on the ball less. So get him on the ball as much as possible and put him in a position on the pitch where that happens for me. Ben I think it would be worth him dropping it at CAM just into where Steph Joe is playing this weekend but I think I agree with Dom it does mean you have to drop Kearney slightly deeper. Um, I like Kenny a little bit deeper because him and McDonald seem to knit that midfield together and, and keep the ball under control and circulating quite well. I do feel like when we dropped Fonte into Cam against 
a team a couple of weeks back. I think it was Millwall. He got crowded out pretty quickly, and I don't think that's that's because he hasn't adjusted to the pace of the game yet. But I could see him working there um, when he's up to speed. Okie dokie. Um, this is a question from Martin Baker. He says it's a bit. It's a bit like the question we had about the keepers earlier, but more general. He says, with the January window just around the corner, I believe we need to tweak the team a bit. I'm a fan of getting players in from teams around us rather than abroad. With that, who would we like to see us bring in? Who, you know, let's 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 make this let's tweak the question slightly, Martin, if if you don't mind, and and let's think about let's make this reasonable. I, I can't, you know, I don't want us to say we'd like British on Belonga from Middlesbrough. Obviously, it's not going to come to the club. Um, players who are in the teams around us that we reasonably think we stand a chance of actually signing. Hotter. As in, <laughs> not again. <laughs> um, I know that you have, do have one, a, few, a yeah. few here, so maybe you kick us off here. Well, I'll start. Let's, let's get some small examples going, and then maybe the juices will flow as such. There's two, one from above and one from below. I'd really, <laughs> really like to be looking at Jack Marriott, who's currently playing up front for Peterborough United, and much mm. as that doesn't sound very exciting, he's suddenly the top scorer <laughs> in League One. And basically, Marriott. The re, the problem I have with this is that Marriott's five foot eight, and he's a centre forward, so he's not going to solve this issue of not being able to kick the ball long. Basically, Marriott used to play for Luton Town. He did used to play for Luton Town. Their fourth string striker, and they let him go to Peterborough for nothing, and yeah. now he's there. Yeah, he scored. He's already scored fourteen, I think, this season. Mm. Um, he's really quick. Uh, and basically what I think Marriott brings that we don't have right now is he shoots loads. He just shoots loads. Like, he sees the goal and he hits it. Mm-hmm. And he may, he's slightly wasteful in that way, but he also hits the target more than he misses. And he creates quite a lot because there are often knockdowns from that kind of thing. And because he, he shoots from areas that people don't expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also he scores a lot of goals, as has been referenced already. He's um, he started the season absolutely on fire, dropped off a bit, and he's just starting to really come back, you know, come back round again now. And Peterborough fans are constantly raving about him. I have a couple in my office who, who are Jack Marriott's you know, fan club, basically. Yeah. And so that would be someone I, I would look to get in. The one that's a little bit too, probably too optimistic, but I think if he hadn't come on this weekend, I would have been looking to pinch was Dan. I think Danny Ings on a six-month loan would have been a, a reasonable thing to, to look at getting in. Um, he's not really playing. He's, what, four-string striker there now. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't seem to be fitting into Klopp's plans in, in that kind of way so but him coming on at the weekend has maybe dampened that spirit a little bit I quite like uh, I've always been a fan of uh, Barkhausen from from Preston I think I've said this countless times on the pod I, I really really like him and you lot must be sick of me saying okay. it um, I also like Shawnee Maguire as yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll, you'll be a big fan of as well Jack I think he, he really offers something from wide positions that we currently don't have um, he's a big bustling fella and you know he obviously knows where the goal is and that's something I think as I say we, we lack from wide position um, I think another one you'll probably like Jack is Callum O'Dowder I quite yeah. I quite like him as well I think he'd fit in nicely with, with what we're trying to with what we're trying to do I'm not sure he would quite Can't, leave yeah. where he is right now to, to come to us um, as well as one of his club mates Aidan Flint I think what we're really looking for here is a left back that we can possibly is going to make an impact on our season and I think you know there's a good one at Barnsley, whose name has escaped me right now, who's really coming up through the ranks. I I literally cannot remember his name. It's, okay, I know. It's um, is it Harvey Barnes? He's on loan from Leicester. That's the one. He's also not a left back, so I've completely fucked it there. But no, he, but he has he has done he has played that role he's, before. Yeah. He, he's a left winger, and he, yeah. he's slotted in back there before. Yeah, he's really good. And then um, 
Tom Bradshaw as well. I quite like him. He's talking, got seven goals this season already. Talking of Leicester, could we pinch Leonardo Ajoa? Uh, if we're looking, lovely. if we're looking for that, tar- if we're looking to play that, I really man wanted him in the summer. I really wanted him in the summer. He said he wasn't going to leave; he was going to fight for his place. But he is now fifth choice striker at Leicester. Surely, at some point, someone's going. Oh, please, you know, Leonardo, go and have a get a go, well, get a game not, somewhere. Would he not get a team at the bottom of the uh, Premier League though? Well, I mean, no one's in for him. Mm. No one's been in for him, so it would suggest to me that, that maybe not, but you know, it, it seems like one of those that is definitely worth an approach. The um, player in the division that I would love, and maybe now is a bit more realistic, but wouldn't have been in the summer, is um, James Madison. Well, but I, with, don't, I don't think it's realistic now. He's literally Norwich's best player. I know, but Norwich are like where they are. Where they are. I know it's not realistic really still, but you know... Yeah, I mean, James Madison's a wonderful player with a wonderful... I just don't know where he'd fit into the side. But I can imagine him going to a better club in the summer if Norwich continued to Yeah, completely. He kind of plays that 10 role, doesn't he? He sort of... I thought he played a bit more on the wing. Yeah, I think he's one of those floaters across, but he Mm. sort of defines the kind of, you know, big game player that takes the game by the scruff of the neck and Mm. kind of... We have that already almost in Tom Kearney, I think. I I I agree, I think he'd be an excellent signing, but I don't know where if he'd fit naturally into the kind of into the fabric of the team shall we say Dom I mean like I'm a big I'm, I'm not a big fan of my, of a lot of players in the championship and yeah, there's, like, there's one who like springs to mind straight away who would be a realistic target like for me I w- Alex Smith he's from QPR I'd like to get in but I don't know how it's, like I think it's realistic but I don't know yeah. if how, what the fee would be whether it be boarding 8 or 9 million pound maybe maybe blow over 10 so I, I think a goalkeeper is vitally important, and obviously we spoke about it earlier. But yeah, there's, like I think a lot of the players I'm thinking of are players who don't get into Premier League teams at the moment. Yeah, well, that's who, fair who enough. Who yeah. drop down the division, like or even just like loanees. Like I don't know, maybe Lewis Cook on a six month loan. Forestieri, he's not getting into the West uh, Wednesday squad, is he? People were saying that he's you know he's had a massive falling out with Carver Howe. The thing that I think will change that is I think that Carver Howe will be sacked before the January transfer window, mm. which might change everything in Forestieri's camp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Lewis Lewis Cook played at the weekend for Bournemouth is the is the only thing I was. Yeah, I, about. I, don't, I know he's even getting into the team more because obviously him and him and Hyman both moved to Bournemouth at the same time. Yeah. Had a similar reputation of being good young players, but obviously uh, Lewis Cook's getting signed. who's a very very good player. Yeah. yeah. Him and obviously him and Alex Mowat came through Leeds at the same time, or maybe a couple of years difference between the two. But you always thought that Mowat would actually do quite well. But obviously Cooks now, obviously the captain who won the World Cup of England over the summer. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know. There's not really anyone who sort of sticks out. But I, I would like Alex Smithies and QPR. Fair, it's a, a good question that one, and uh, I think reasonable to look through the divisions and, and look at players that you want. I think there's key to kind of look at the bottom end of the, the Premier League in terms of the players that aren't getting a game there, they are the players that could really come in and change things around and, and you'd hope that, you know, the players lighting things up in League One are kind of the same kettle of fish, if you will. So I think Fulham needs to be looking in those places as well as the usual places and well, hopefully and we'll with a change we in hopefully with a change in scouting op- yeah. operations, then maybe those lower leagues will be looked into a little bit more. You only had to look at Ollie Watkins's performance on Saturday to realise there is real value in those divisions and maybe we've underestimated the potential. I think one of the examples is that, that you have Balassi, Adoma and Punchin all came through Barnet. And they're, they're very bottom of the league too at that, at that time and all three of them didn't look anywhere near the finished product and all three of them have now played in the, in the Premier League and, uh, well, Punchin 
um, and Adoma certainly are, are still getting into a team regularly. And Balassi was bought just two seasons ago for 20 million. So, you know, it is worth a look. I think that kind of exact logic was part of the reason I was looking at Marriott and, you know, through the through those Peterborough ranks. And, you know, while their chairman is a bit nuts on, on, on Twitter and he likes to engage maybe too much, um, he, he does have a reputation for bringing through, you know, those, those really talented lower league strikers who go on to make it elsewhere. And, you know, there's, there's a few really, really you know, big names in that kind of list. You know, and Connor Washington, who's obviously still doing fair bits at, at QPR, Britta Sombalonga, Dwight Gale, mm. Craig Mikhail Smith, who you know did you know did a bit for a while, yep. and Lee Tomlin, who's still playing and still kicking around in the division. Still very fat. Yeah, but he was at one point quite a good player. He was. I think there's there's a lot of players that we could quite easily pick up um, from the lower divisions and that will make a huge impact on what we do in the future. It's not even the lower divisions, it's non-league as well. I mean, you, you mentioned Adoma, he started at Harrow Borough, I believe, yeah. then moved across to Barnet. Then you've got, obviously, everyone who uses the Mikel Antonio, he started to it in Mitchum, my local team. And I mean, there is a lot of quality talent in the lower leagues that just haven't, necessarily don't get the right chances. I mean, you've seen the amount of strikers who've gone from non-league to the Premier League. You've got Andre Gray, you've got Charlie Austin, you've got Jamie Vardy. Um, so I, there there is quality there, it's just getting the right scouting network and finding the gems. I think the thing that annoys me is that sometimes with Fulham we don't go for the more obvious targets that we should be going for. So the ones that have really annoyed me recently is like when they become available, someone like Jordan Rhodes we haven't gone for, albeit he has dried up slightly. I completely get that and he may not have fitted with the way we wanted to play, but it's guaranteed goals. Someone like Kemar Roof, who's doing bits for Leeds, we, we didn't even get anywhere near signing him and... And that was good. And then that was no good, sorry. And then the Omar Bogle, who's doing bits again for Cardiff now. Yeah, three and six. Yeah, and it's just, why aren't we picking up these guys who are clearly going to hit the ground running and aren't going to cost us the world? Well, Bogle signed for Cardiff for £700,000 this summer. Exactly. And we knew his quality because he was very, very good against us for Wigan at the Cottage. Yep. Yeah. The same, someone like Lucas Joao, who from, yeah. who, who's still at Sheffield Wednesday not doing anything. He's just sitting there. And yeah, changed it, the game last season. It's mad to think that when we were all like, oh, he's a player who would probably fit our system. He's, you know, he is physical, but he's also agile and he's also quite quick and he knows where the back of the net is. And while he doesn't necessarily fit into Wednesday's plans, that isn't to say that he wouldn't slot straight into the start, stay at the spearhead of a Fulham attack. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it for the questions that today? That is mostly it for the questions. Um, we, well, there are a few more, but I feel like we've got to, to most of them. There's a question from, from Chris Frank on Facebook, who, which was about... Um, goal kicks and the way that we have plan A's but I think we've we've got through that yeah. um, there was a couple more about transfer windows but I think we've we've basically done that so thank you to Umberto for his question um, thank you to we met Umberto in the pub didn't we yeah. is there Umberto. any we can give like one or two word answers to well this is, is in Lester Lester Wyatt who is a regular contributor of questions he says uh, he hasn't been the Norwood, biggest Norwood fan this year and Steph's been rubbish. So is it time Kearney got pushed back in with K-Mac and we played Font? But I think we've we've dealt with that mostly. So thank you, Lester. Um, and Brendan, who said, what do we make of Cabano's performance at the weekend? But I think we've we've probably addressed that too. We were yeah, all in, we were all quite in agreement that we thought Cabano did pretty well. So um, that is that is most of it. The only one that Ozzy Bordillo did ask us what we thought of Tim Ream's performance, which I don't think we went into in great detail. I like, I like sorry, Sammy, go on. I thought it was nearly man of the match worthy. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I thought, I thought he added a real calmness to our defence. We always look at a little bit more composed when he plays out the back, and you know, it, it, there's a difference there. He's, he's, his passing ability is much better than uh, Adoy's. So yeah, yeah. Good no part. doubt Shea Yojo will get man of the match though because he scored. He did score. Um, I'm going to ask a question because I'm 
feeling it. Oh. Uh, what was the lineup you would go with at the weekend? Sammy, you can start. Um, I would go... Oh, no, because now Doy's back as well. I'll stick with Betts, only because he played in the last game. Dom's here. Oh, yeah. sorry, mate. I'll start with Marcus Bessinelli. Thank you. Good. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd like to put uh, Adoy back into left-back, because clearly Schwarz just isn't an option anymore. Ream, Callas, Fredericks. Um, then I guess you have to have... I would, I would drop Johansson for Font up front, although wouldn't have minded Kamara. In the, if he's going to stick with this system, though, I'd like to see Font playing in that kind of Johansson role. Don't know who you get in for an injured Cabano. You got Ojo, Kenny, Norwood, Kmac. I think I've named him pretty much a team. Oh yeah, Sessignon. Sessignon replacing Cabano. Sorry, I've had a long day. <laughs> ben, I'd go for uh, Dominy Betts in goal. Yeah, good. Okay, Marcus Betts, uh, left back. Uh, Adoy, centre centre uh, back pairing of Callas uh, and Ream, and then right back uh, Fredericks holding midfield Kevin McDonald. Then two in front of him will probably be Kenny and Norwood, and then I'd have uh, Cabano if he's fit on the left wing, Ojo on the right wing, and I'd probably stick Font in there as a bit of a withdrawn forward to see if he can get on the end of something. Tom, yeah, Bettinelli in goal, Fredericks right back, centre backs. Callas and Ream, left back Dennis Adoy, midfield McDonald, Kearney. I would I would play Johansson, but I'm going to drop him into deeper. his deeper into the role he played last season, and then front three of Cess, Ojo, and Font. Well, we've all basically gone for exactly the same team. We with mine at mine. You'd like, have Johansson ahead of Norwood, and you'd have Cabano ahead of Ojo if you if you could. No, I'd have him ahead of Cess. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Cess, actually. I Actually, you know what? I would edit my team and I'll have Cess left wing, um, Ojo right, and then Cabano buzzing the around the middle. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we'd. I think I will I will just stick with the three of you. I think my one would be similar enough that I'm not going to bother reading it out. So I think that comes to the, the end of the post bag. Brilliant. All right, well, thank you for your questions, as ever. You can send them in at any time. You don't have to wait uh, until a Monday. We do see all the questions. So pod at fulhamish.co.uk. You can message us on Facebook. You can send us an Instagram direct message if you fancy being that way inclined or just good old-fashioned Twitter at fulhamishpod. Can I actually change that answer and can I fill in a, a, a line-up because I actually would make a change, a big change. Go on, then. Jordan Graham, he's coming in. Yeah, he is. Okay. Uh, I would play Sess at left-back. That's my thing. I, I think that we're going to be good enough against Sunderland and they're not going to offer enough threat that we are going to, we could leave Sess at left-back and he could just maraud around like he did at the weekend. Um, and I think that in the system that Slav is trying to play with this kind of withdrawn centre-forward and Kevin McDonough dropping in, it makes sense to have Sess as an attacking outlet against a team that don't offer any threat on the right wing, which is basically what, what Sunderland have been this year. So I'd play Sess at left-back and I'd play Jordan Graham on the left wing. I, I'd give JG a, a start. With. You know what? I think your lineup that is more likely than any of the ones we've said knowing Slav at the moment as well. So, well, I th- I just feel like Jordan Graham is trying to is almost pushing his way into contention, and the way he's pushing his you know kind of things on in social media at the moment suggests a man that's happier than what he was before. Mm. So that would be my lineup for the weekend. We'll have to wait and see. Slav Bingo, as as ever, as ever. 
Okay, well, thank you for listening to the podcast today. Uh, we will be back next Monday with a review of hopefully three points from the Stadium of Light and then looking forward to that Christmas festive fixture against Barnsley at the Cottage. Uh, I don't think I've got any more announcements to make of you, Jack. No, I think, I think we're done here. We're done here. Oh, we haven't named the pod. We do need to name the pod. What are we going for? Um, Ojo's found his mojo. Ojo's found his mojo. Brilliant. Again. Carrying, Again in brackets. Okay, carrying on the uh, the Austin Powers theme from the beginning, Shagadelic. So um, to Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Please never say that again. <laughs> ever, ever, ever in your life. Never. <laughs> ben Jarman, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Tom Betts, thank you very much. It's all right. My name's me, Sammy James. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. 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 Toodles. <laughs>